Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you. I want to welcome everybody joining us online uh, here today. We're so glad that you've joined us. And maybe for anybody who's brand new with us, just for sake of introduction, my name's Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And we're so grateful to worship the living God together. Uh, Today is the beginning of Holy Week. Today is Palm Sunday. And uh, this uh, Holy Week starts with Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and then uh, Good Friday on Friday, and of course, one week from today, culminating in Easter. Now, Holy Week is part of a larger church calendar. The church calendar doesn't start on January 1st like our calendar does. It actually starts uh, in Advent. Advent is the lead-up time to Christmas, and then culminates uh, in uh, Pentecost, the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And so that's after, much later, after Easter. The time between Pentecost and the beginning of Advent, again, is called ordinary time. I I didn't grow up in a church calendar type church. I wasn't aware of the church calendar, didn't know what it meant. Um, And it's not just to commemorate a few holidays, uh, some important holidays for sure. Uh, But there's a couple of reasons. One, it orients around, it doesn't start on January 1st, it starts at Advent leading up to Christmas because it orients around the life of Jesus. And if we track with the, with the church calendar, it helps us orient our lives around Jesus, which is countercultural and counterintuitive. Our tendency is to build our lives and have everything orient around us, and our culture encourages the same, including for us to maybe sometimes have Jesus orient around our lives, but the church calendar helps us to orient ours around His. We don't just commemorate a few holidays uh, throughout the year, uh, though we do that. Uh, it is actually more of, about a journey, of journeying with Jesus. So we begin Holy Week journeying into Jerusalem and journey to the cross and then ultimately to Easter next Sunday. I want to encourage you, even as today as we jump into the message today, not just to uh, think about it from a, a couple thousand years away kind of perspective, but try and get into the story and into the experience of being in Jerusalem on that day and throughout the week. As we go through this week, of course, at the, on Friday is Good Friday, we, we remember the power and the pain of the cross. I think it's so important that we do that because sometimes we rush by the cross on our way to Easter. But I have found as uh, we celebrate and take time and gather as a house on Good Friday, that the anticipation for what is to come builds in our hearts as we make our way towards Sunday. So if you haven't been to a Good Friday gathering before, or maybe even if you have, I want to invite you. Uh, make it a point to be at a Good Friday gathering this Friday, uh, 6 and 7.30. Two options right here. Uh, there's child care for uh, three years old and under. Uh, I was talking with somebody recently. He said, I, I never have come to, been to a Good Friday gathering prior to coming to Mill City, and now I won't miss it. One of my favorite gatherings of the year. So I, I hope that you will be there as well. So today, we are going to read out of Matthew chapter 21. And this is the story of Jesus entering in Jerusalem. This 
is a pivot point in Jesus' life and ministry as we read in the Gospels. This story is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it is a pivot because up until this point, Jesus' ministry had been done in small towns around the Sea of Galilee, uh, rural areas. And, and he had intentionally not gone to Jerusalem because he knew what it would mean. Jerusalem was the place of power, and he knew that in the ways that things had been disruptive in these rural places, that they would be only more explosive as he got closer to the places of power, and he knew what would happen to him. So let's start Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they, this would be Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. (laughs) Sounds like Jesus is encouraging stealing. (laughs) If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Try that. (laughs) This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This prophecy that's referenced here is from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which was written 550 years prior to this event happening. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches, palm branches, from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, in Galilee. So Jesus here is entering into Jerusalem, but it's important for us to to understand what's happening in Jerusalem in this time. Jesus is not just riding into Jerusalem on any ordinary day. He's actually riding into Jerusalem during the Passover festival. They're celebrating Passover. Passover was the commemoration of the deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt out of slavery. So there is there's freedom and deliverance on their minds. The crowds or the size of Jerusalem swells during a festival like this. Normally the population of Jerusalem was about 30,000 and it swells for Passover to about 180,000. Jerusalem was already kind of a squishy city and now it's like extra squishy. And, and so, so we have this, this, this deliverance on their mind, people coming together, the buzz and the energy in the city has, has, goes up exponentially. They remember the prophecy, it would have been in their imagination, so when they saw somebody riding on a donkey, they would have connected it to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and they would have known that this was a ride, not just like, well, that's, I guess, all you could find. No, this actually was symbolic of a king riding in on a donkey, and they had this 
this, this prophecy in mind, the energy. They were singing Hosanna, Hosanna. Maybe not a word we use today, but it meant save us, help us, and reaching out. And it was a, it was a, a, a proclamation, proclamation or a request given to a king. They had palm branches. Palm branches wasn't just because that was the only thing they could find. It actually, they were symbolic. They were waving palm branches in the air. Like they just didn't care. You know, I mean, they were, they were going for it that day. But palm branches had a symbolic meeting and, and they, they, they were symbols of deliverance. They were symbols of victory. And maybe even in this moment, as they were here in Jerusalem under Roman rule, it was a, it was a symbol of defiance. Because they had been longing and longing and longing for someone to come and help and save. I mean, it's kind of like the Broncos. <laughs> kind of. You know, how long have we been waiting for a quarterback to actually make us... And Russell Wilson shows up on the scene, and we're like, and that's only a few years worth of pent-up angst and longing. Imagine that for hundreds and hundreds of years. Deliverance. The, the city is full of life. Jesus is on the scene. They've seen and heard about these miracles. Palm branches, donkey, other people are there. Wow, this is going to happen. And something really interesting happens. Jesus rides in. Other people join this already large crowd. And Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem. He doesn't stop and give a speech. He doesn't organize a rally. He doesn't share some instructions and say, hey, pass these out. He doesn't communicate a strategy in any sort of way. He goes into the temple, flips some tables, talks to the religious leaders of the day, and goes home. He goes to Bethany. He leaves Jerusalem and goes to Bethany. He does come back. But I, I wonder if they weren't thinking, hmm, maybe tomorrow. But throughout the week, I wonder if the confusion didn't increase. That the confusion of, what are you doing? Why didn't you take that opportunity? Later in the week, instead of talking about how he's going to overthrow the Romans, he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Eventually, he finds himself arrested and in front of Pilate. And he doesn't say anything. And then by Friday, he's on a cross, dead. I bet there was a lot of questions, confusion, that leads and led to disappointment. The people had a specific idea of what God was going to do to save them. And he didn't. See, Palm Sunday is a good reminder of how fast our hearts can move from crown him to kill him when we don't get our way. You ever feel disappointed in God? For not doing what you thought he would or could? God, why aren't you inter inter interjecting yourself into this? Why aren't you interrupting this? Why aren't you fixing this? I, 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 you could. I know you can. I've seen it. I've read it. Why did we have another miscarriage? I, I thought this was 
going to be the one that was going to work out? Why did the relationship just end? Why can't I get into a relationship? God, I've been praying. I've been doing everything that I know to do. I've been stepping out. Why can't I find him or why can't I find her? Why aren't you bringing him or her into my life? Well, the marriage that I am in is not working out what is going on here. Why would you bring the person that I thought was the person to this place and now it is what it is and it's in shambles and it's not working and it's painful and God, where are you? What about this diagnosis with this chronic pain? Well, what about my kids, my spouse, my parents, or this relationship or my job? I thought this was going to work out. God, If we're honest, I'm disappointed with you. Why did my dad, why did my mom, why did my son, why did my daughter die so early? It's not right. God, you could have done something. Doesn't seem like you know what you're doing. The people in Jerusalem that day and throughout the week, their expectation of Jesus to be the Savior was good, and it was right. He was and is the Savior of the world. He was the true king riding in on a donkey. He was the fulfillment of the prophecy. He was the one that they had been longing and looking for, but it was the how that was the problem for them. I mean, imagine the buzz of Jerusalem, all the things, the longing... Now's the time, Jesus. I mean, it just makes perfect sense. Look at these crowds. I mean, I remember before we used to think that it was on the mountainside and there was a bunch of people, but look at this. That was 5,000. This is 180,000. Look what the possibilities are today. Wow, you were smart then, but now this is it. And they thought that by the end of the week there would be dead Romans. Instead, Jesus is dead on a cross. I just say it is good to expect things from God. God is good. God is true and right. But when we have set expectations of outcome and timing, we can end up with a disillusioned faith. See, because disappointments can build walls around our hearts. Walls of self-protection. Walls that are built with a desire to protect ourselves from future disappointments. Well, if I don't hope then I won't be disappointed. And so we lower our sights and we dim our aspirations. And we become cynical of those who have hope. Oh, well, you know, you'll find out soon enough. But I don't think that's the way that God designed us to be. I think it's important that we highlight and think about what brings disappointment because there are some disappointments that can be avoided. Comparison brings disappointment. 150 years prior to Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, there was a Maccabean revolt where a Jewish leader overthrew those who were ruling over the Jews at that point and they won. So I wonder if they weren't remembering that. It happened like this last time. It's going to happen like this this time. 
And so you take your story and you compare your story to someone else's. She had a miscarriage and then she had a baby. She waited a little longer or he waited a little longer, but eventually they found the person they were looking for. They have kids, why don't I have kids? And we find ourselves wondering about, disappointed in, comparing our lives to other people's lives or comparing our life to our previous life. This is how it was when everything was right, so everything else in my life should look like that. It should look like my childhood, or it should look like this experience, or it should look like this relationship. Or maybe we compare ourselves to the imagination of what we expected our life to look like. I thought by this time I would have kids. I thought by this time I would have a job. I thought by this time I would be married. I thought by this time I would have fewer kids. <laughs> this isn't what I expected it to be. I didn't expect to have a broken marriage. I didn't expect to have kids that don't talk to me anymore. I didn't expect to live in a world where we have so much atrocity and we have genocide and horrible things happening around the world. I didn't expect to be living in a place where, where there's still racial issues and it's a tough conversation. God, this isn't what I expected. God, what are you doing? And so we compare to others. We compare to our past. or We compare to what we imagined in the future. But the reality is, is that you and I have limited perspective. We don't always see the greater good. We don't always see the bigger perspective, the bigger picture. Things in the kingdom of God are not often as they seem. We have a tendency to think that big is better. We have a tendency to think that somehow what looks something should look like this to look like success, but Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. See, the limited perspective for this particular day is that Jesus will overthrow the Romans and save the Jews. But God had a much bigger perspective. There's a much bigger story going on. God's perspective was Jesus overthrew death and sin to save the Jews, the Romans, and all of humanity. That's a bigger perspective. If, they, if the, the people of the day got what they wanted, it would have been so much smaller than what God had in mind. I wonder if we can't just assume that our perspective is limited. And come to a place where we can say, I don't understand, but I trust you, God. I trust that you are bigger, wiser, that you are good. Which means that we have to trade in our expectations for expectancy. The expectations of how God will do something or when he will do something for just a belief in a trust that God will and is doing something. 
that even in the midst of this mess, which I never expected to be here, God, you are doing, redeeming, transforming, and you will bring things that are good for me and for your glory out of all of this. I trust you. I don't understand. I don't even like it, but I trust you. See, Jesus didn't come to be a means to our ends, but the means to God's end. The end of ultimate renewal and redemption. And the reality is disappointment doesn't have to build walls around our hearts. Disappointment can be transformational. Disappointment can transform us and ultimately then transform the world around us. So what will we do when the saving we long for doesn't come how we want it to? In order to know how disappointment can be transformational, we need to learn from Jesus. Jesus had loads and loads of opportunities to let disappointment derail him. He knew that the people chanting Hosanna would several days turn around and say crucify him. But he didn't ride in on a donkey, like rolling his eyes. Yeah, whatever. Actually, it says that before he even rode in on the donkey, he cried over Jerusalem out of love and care. He had eyes of compassion, not eyes of cynicism. A few days later, he'd find himself at a table with his disciples known as the Last Supper. Judas is welcomed to the table, even though Jesus knew that he would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus welcomed Peter to the table, even though he knew that, if you, that, that, that really soon he was going to deny him, but he even knew him. He welcomed all of his disciples to the table, even though he knew that they would desert him. So how do we allow disappointment to be transformational? Jesus, Jesus stayed present. He stayed present to God, himself, and to others. And rather than disconnecting, rather than self-protecting, I love what Alicia Britt Cole says in her book, 40 Days of Decrease. Jesus didn't let the rejection of tomorrow cause him to reject the love of today. It's important for us to stay present in the moment, even though there's the possibility of disappointment in the future. Jesus' ability to stay present and compassionate speaks to his ability to differentiate. If differentiation is the road down the middle, there's two ditches on either side. One is to disconnect and disassociate from yourself, from God, from others. I just am going to back away. No way. I don't want anything to do with this. I can't handle this. this is, I'm going to move away. Shut down. The other side is enmeshment and codependency. I'm going to move forward and I'm going to fuse with you. I love Rich Velotis' definition of differentiation. Good friend of mine and overseer for our church. He says, remaining close and curious to God and myself while remaining close and curious to others, especially in times of high anxiety. It's one thing to do it when it's calm. It's another thing to do it when anxiety and stress rises. 
to remain close. In order to do that and come to the place and the ability to do that, we have to do something else that Jesus did, and that is be honest and wrestle with God. Jesus exemplified this when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane during Holy Week, and he ends up in this garden, and he's praying. And what does he do? He draws close to the Father, and he asks, is there any other way? Can you take this cup from me? Is there another way? What's he doing? He's staying close and curious to his Father. He's been close and curious to himself because he realizes, I don't want to do this right now. I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I want the physical pain. I've already felt some of the emotional pain of people leaving. I know what's going to happen. My closest friends are going to betray me, deny me, and desert me. Is there any other way? Jesus does it. We see Jacob wrestling with God in the Old Testament. We see Job wrestling with God in the Old Testament. The Psalms are packed full of David and the other psalmists wrestling with God. Where are you? Why have you abandoned me? Why haven't you, can you just take care of these guys, these enemies of mine? He's honest. He doesn't say, oh, be honest if you're nice. No, he says, be honest even if you're raging mad. Come to God, unfiltered. Come to God with intensity. Jesus was so intense in this moment that in the book of Luke, it says that he was in such agony or anguish or anxiety that he sweat drops of blood. Honesty is the friend of intimacy with God. To deny or pretend or to avoid is the enemy of intimacy with God. Jossie and I have been married for be 27 years later this summer. And it would, be, it would be awkward. It would be weird. It would indicate something wrong with our relationship if we only told each other, thing, each other positive things. If we didn't share with each other our disappointments, or our difficulties, or our discouragements, the pain or the, or the heartache. To not share all of our lives with one another would not, to only share the positive would not be an indicator of a deeper, closer relationship. What is God wanting with you and me? relationship closeness which means bring it all bring it completely bring it unfiltered wrestle because if we don't I'm convinced we won't truly know who he is and the relationship we desire gets avoided and missed so the encouragement as reflected by Jesus, is to stay. Will you stay? Stay when it gets tough. Stay when it gets hard. Which is especially difficult in a culture of wanderlust. It's like, oh, the newness is worn off. Time for a new car. Time for a new relationship. Time for a new job. Time for a new city. Time for a new church. Time for a new city group. Or if it's not the newness, it's, it has, that it's become hard. But you know, I think when it becomes hard, we might be just on the cusp of, it, of, cusp of it becoming better. The cusp of the roots being down and we don't 
dig the roots up and transplant it, which means that the roots have to start over, which means fruit gets delayed. What if we stay long enough to see the fruit of staying? What if we take the Benedictine vow of stability that says, I'm here, I'm not leaving. New experiences, new cities, new things, totally fun. But I wonder if we're missing out on something richer. I wonder if we're missing out on something because we don't stay and push through and work through the the hard in order to produce depth. Maybe one of the reasons that you find it hard to go to God and be honest and wrestle with Him is because maybe you're disappointed, but maybe you think God's disappointed with you. That He's looking at you and I cannot believe you. Can't believe you're disappointed. Don't you trust me? Disappointment is not at the center of our relationship with God. Delight is. God delights in you and he delights in me. Delight should be at the center of our relationships with our friends and our kids. I might be disappointed in my kids, but it's not at the center of my relationship with them. If it becomes that way, it becomes a problem and it will mess up the whole thing. God does not look at you and he did not look at the world. Jesus wasn't, didn't go to the cross because of Jesus' disappointment. He went to the cross because of God's desperate delight and love for his creation. I love it so much that I'm willing to sacrifice, go through the hard, the agonizing, the disappointment in order to bring about the best and bring about transformation which is exactly what Jesus did by going to the cross and coming out of the grave. Maybe for you, you find yourself here today in a place of either experiencing or thinking God is disappointed with you, and so you've, you've run away and you felt like, well, we've, me and God, we're just both disappointed in each other. I wonder if you're not here today because God is calling you home to realize that God loves you more than you could ever imagine. That God is welcoming and inviting you home. Come home. Come home, daughter. Come home, son. I delight in you. Bring your disappointment. I can handle it. I do have a bigger perspective. I understand how you might not understand it, but I love you. If that's you here today, I wonder if the Holy Spirit, you don't feel a tugging on your heart for, to respond to the invitation of the Holy Spirit here today and to surrender, surrender your life, to surrender to love, surrender to Jesus. If that's you, will you just, under your breath, say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I surrender. I'm not going to try to be God anymore. Do it my way because you're not doing it the way I want you to. I want to trust you. 
If that's you and you just said that under your breath, it's not the only thing you need to say to God, but it is an important and amazing first thing to say to God. God welcomes you home with open arms. Incredible, most important decision you could ever make. For others of you, maybe the Maybe the invitation from the Holy Spirit today is to repent. Maybe you found yourself angry at God, disappointed, built walls around your heart of self-protection. It's to come and say, you know what, I, I need to learn and I want to grow in being present. Present to the reality of the brokenness of this world. But pre- and 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 live in it with compassion. But God, I need to be more present to God, to myself, and to others. God, I repent for running, and I repent for maybe trying to fix it. You are the one who redeems all things. Would you take a, a moment this week, our weekly practice is to reflect on how maybe you felt disappointed with God. Either you do or you have encouraged us to be honest with God. Sometimes we need to be honest with ourselves that we're disappointed. Will you reflect on that and will you bring it to God honestly? As we close here today, I want to take a moment and I want to pray for each and every person here. I wonder if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes for a moment and I just want to ask, if you find yourself in a place of disappointment with God right now, would you be bold enough to raise your hand? I'd love to know who you are and see you and pray for you specifically as we close here in prayer. Hands up. I see hands, 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 hands all over the auditorium. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in the mess of our world you didn't go the way of disappointment and self-protection and distance. But in the opportunity to be disappointed you leaned in, you loved, sacrificed. God, I pray that we would learn from you. And Holy Spirit of God, I pray for each and every person that raised their hand or each and every person who didn't raise their hand but raised their hand in their heart. God, I pray that they would sense the nearness of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that that there would be comfort in the pain and the hurt. I pray that there would be an encouragement and a a felt permission, an invitation even from the Holy Spirit to bring that disappointment fully and completely to you, to wrestle with you. And I pray that out of that would come transformation and depth in relationship with you. And as we are transformed, may we bring that experience and bring our transformation to the world that the world might experience transformation in the same way that you, Jesus, went to the cross. And it wasn't just about you. It wasn't just about God feeling it. It was about the world being transformed. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. God, would you reignite hope in some of my friends in this room today? 
reignite hope with anybody watching online today? Where hope has been lost or shattered, would you restore and redeem? Believe and trust you again. As you pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.